and maybe uh, you kind of look at that and you think, man, I don't know, why is that? Why is it sometimes so hard to keep moving forward to take the next step or um, just to do the ordinary things, the simple things, you know? A lot of life comes down to things like that, and I think it's important because um, I think most Christians would struggle with those things. I think there are some people that more naturally um, work in a process way where they just do the same things over and over and over. Um, But I also think that in the Christian walk, even if you're naturally oriented that way, uh, because you're having to walk by faith and not by sight, it is very difficult sometimes to keep doing uh, and keep moving forward as you ought. And I think, you know, it's, it kind of, you think about it in a natural realm, like maybe uh, you want to eat, eat better. You want to go to the doctor, they say you got to start eating better. You have to have a better diet. And so there are things you have to do or exercise or start, you know, stop doing this and start doing something else. And the, you find yourself trying to do that for a little while and then you can't, you, or you seem like you can't, you just battle. And I think we, we do that. And uh, I think we have to, to kind of um, start over, over and over. And part of our coming every week and say, let's have a call to confession is just saying like, uh, some, some days just saying, uh, we need to recognize again uh, that we need him. We forgot that this week, over and over. And so we just need to corporately say, uh, let's remind one another, you know, again and again and again. And so I think it's important just to see that because I think we are struggling or will struggle uh, with those things. And, and I think it's important that we stop and say, I struggle with being stable and steadfast in my Christian walk. That is why I should not walk alone. That's why I should not go at this alone. I should not be left in my head all by myself. The Christian life is not to be lived on an island, and I need people around. So what things get in the way for me? Boredom would be one. I can get bored with doing the same thing over and over. Uh, Discipline practice over long periods of time can start to feel very laborious. It feels like I am sitting there almost in a, you know, like a, a, I guess you could say, you know, if I was making widgets and I'm just setting the next thing over, it's boring. It almost feels like sometimes it could be that way. And I have to pray that the Lord would cause me to um, be... uh, drawn back to him because there are a lot of times yeah I could set before uh, the word and think like I, I just I'm not getting anywhere sit there in prayer I'm not getting anywhere so I think it's important that we understand that we're going to fight boredom in our striving towards the Lord that's one of the things you will fight at times and it's important to see that and when you get those moments where like you know a de- the vo- devotional book like those streams in the desert and you're able to drink from the well, and you're, it just feels so alive. You, you do, those are wonderful times, but you're not going to feel that every day. Another thing that can get in the way is fear, the worries of the world. There's a lot of things to be afraid of in our world if there is no God. If there's nothing beyond the sun, there's a lot to be afraid of. There are a lot of things going on around us that scare you to death, you know? There's a song we've been listening to a lot as a family uh, where the guy speaks of being in that place of fear and depression, those kind of things. 
And he says, the things that are, I'm afraid of are afraid of you. And that's something you have to know. The things that you fear are the things that are afraid of him. They bow to him. He created them. He is redeeming them. The things that you are most fear in life are afraid of him. And they should be. And you should fear him more than you fear them. Third thing that can get in the way of me just being stable and steadfast is activity. Uh, you could just be too busy. And some of that too busy is um, spending too much time on my phone. Spending too much time, I don't know, taking my kids to another event. Making every Saturday about another activity for them with the, the thought that I'm just trying to get them to experience everything that they need except for what they really need. You know, it's foolishness. It's a sign of a heart that has the priorities wrong. Right, right? That you're not thinking clearly. And so those get in the way of your Christian walk. They get in the way of your family's walk with the Lord. And you think it's okay because everybody else who is walking in foolishness is okay with it. And I would just say, just because your friends say this is the right way, if your friends are not pursuing the Lord, like you need to stop listening to, to ignorant people. They do not understand where life is and where it is found. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so those are struggles for us we, to keep us stable and steadfast. The last one I would say is curiosity. I like to learn about everything. I, I really do. I mean, I find it very enjoyable to study enormous amounts of subjects. One of the things that's most frustrating to me is that I don't have enough time to learn about more things. So curiosity can get me kind of sidetracked. And so these young Christians were wondering if they had received everything that they needed to live fully as a Christian, and they had people in their ears saying they hadn't. And Paul says, you have everything. You just got to go back to those things. Epaphras, who was probably an unlearned man but trained in the gospel, he preached to you. You heard it. It is good. It's changed your life. It's changing lives all around the world. It continues to change lives 2,000 years from now. It's changing lives. And it's the truth. Go back. Dive in. Drink deeply from the well of the gospel. You never leave that. It's just something of, in a way, it's something, and we say this often, but it's something of taking a diamond and you're turning it with the light bursting on it and you're seeing different aspects of that to amaze you more. Go back. You don't need some other thing, that's what he's saying, to grow into a matured Christian disciple, to be a follower of Christ. You have everything that you need for a life of godliness. Go back. So today he's going to say, this is where we once were, where we are now, and how we must go on. It's where we once were, 
where we are now and how we must go on. Remember, we began with the intro, then a prayer of thanksgiving for the, the things that God's doing in their life, and then an intercession for them to grow in full maturity with greater understanding, wisdom, and power. And last week, we looked at that massive confessional statement that basically said, Jesus is enough. He is more than enough. He is supreme Lord, and he is the sufficient Savior. He is you go anywhere else outside of Jesus, you've left the creator and redeemer of the universe. Go back to him. Like, that's where you go. Like, any of those other things that you would go to are some distortion, or they are things that, are, uh, are, that, are, that, are, that submit to him and his lordship. Go back to him. Be driven to him. Because he doesn't want this church to be tossed, as Ephesians 4 says, to and fro by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He wants them to be grounded. He wants them to be anchored in the Lord. And he starts by pointing us to Jesus and saying, He is Lord and Savior. So, Today, we're talking about being stable and steadfast. So what, what he's going to say is, look back, look down, that's how I would say it, stand on this foundation, and look forward. Or, what you once were, where you now stand, and how you must go on. So, let's look at it. Where you once were. Let's kind of take kind of a glance at this and work through it. 121. And you who once were, that's pretty, <laughs> y'all good with the outline? That kind of works, right? Yeah, you who once were, he's looking to the past. Now, here's what's interesting. This is not the only place in the Bible it looks like this, and I think that's important for you to know. In Titus chapter 3, so you think about Colossians 1.21, just that little section, who you once were. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, he says, for we ourselves were once Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Listen to Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your sins in, in, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So I'll just stop there and just say, this idea of looking back is common for Paul. He is showing them things to help them understand who they once were and to look back into their past just to understand their condition. This passage actually says, and you who once were alienated, and your first thought, depending on probably your background, you might think of an alien from outer space. That might be something that comes to your mind. Another thing might be like an illegal alien that comes into a country as an illegal alien, and they have no citizenship. And generally speaking, no rights to anything. And so, in that sense, you might think in that context. You might think of Adam and Eve who were alienated from God and cast out of the garden. They were cast into the place outside of the presence of God. And so, that might be something that would come uh, to your mind, which would you would rightly so. Be outside of the presence of God is to be cursed. 
To be outside the presence of God is to not have intimate relationship with Him, to be estranged from Him. This is the condition that we do find ourselves in, in our natural state, alienated from God. The Scripture, very clearly in Romans 5, as Paul is building the case of man's situation, he speaks of the first Adam and then the second Adam, which Colossians has that language in it too. In Romans 5.12 he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. Now listen. And so death spread to all men. What is he saying? Because all sin. It's not... It's. I think if you read this text and you think about it clearly, what he's saying is, is that the sin of Adam was put to the account of humanity. They are sinners by their association with him. Now you move on and you say, is that all that happened as a result of the fall and what took place? It says, and they were hostile in mind. So these people were once alienated and hostile. So you move from being like a sinner by association to a sinner by nature. Hostility is something that like there's there's this rejection of God in them. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked. Romans 3:10 says it this way, none is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they become worthless. No one that does good, not even one. Genesis 6, 5, before the flood, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention and thought of his heart was evil continually. So what are you saying? He says, this is who you once were outside of Christ in a state of alienation from God. You were alienated because of your sin, because of the sin of Adam. You come here alienated because of the hostility in mind, the heart of man, totally and completely broken as a result of the sin of Adam. People do not come here in a state of innocence, but in a state of guilt and in a state of their nature is corrupted. Jesus did not come because you didn't need to be cleansed of your sin and converted in your heart or transformed in your heart. You needed a new birth, a new nature is what you would explain this as. So I just think it's important just to say that. So God in His mercy, gives us a new heart. We must be born again. We need the transforming power of His grace. That, that's, that's a big deal. And so I think it's important just to say that. Say, okay, we start here and say, what was our former condition? And why does Paul say, you, you might say, well, that's just for the people in Colossae. They were really bad off. You know, it's like, no, not really. Look at Romans. Look at Colossians. Look at every city. Look at Ephesians. Look at the people in Crete. Go across the world with the Apostle Paul, and he would say the human condition is the same. But even in that, just go back to Genesis 6-5 and say, after the Adam sin, what happened? His son, uh, uh, I mean, one of his sons killed the other. You keep moving forward. The thoughts and intentions of the hearts of humanity are to completely corrupt. And so what needs to take place? God has to rescue them. God has to rescue them. That's the whole story of the Bible. Man needs to be rescued. You can give man every advantage possible, but if God does not rescue them, he will be damned. That's the whole story of the Bible. 
So, these people who are sinners by association and nature are doing evil deeds. Can you imagine? Right? I mean, what? Yeah, they are. They're doing evil deeds. They're making choices that reflect who they are by association, who they are in their hearts, and who they are now with their words and their actions and their hands and all of that stuff. So we always talk about this like, uh, you know, I don't know, if you, there's different groups that do it. 4-H would be one where it's head, heart, hands. What's the next one? Habitat, maybe? No, is that not good? It's 4-H's. Like, y'all think of it later and tell me. But, uh, but anyway, if you're studying in different kind of groups, it's like you move through this and you say, like, as you're thinking, you think, man, what's going on? Well, what's happening is, out of the heart flows these actions. They're doing evil deeds. So, you, you see that on display? This is what Jesus says, in case you're not really convinced. Mark 7, 21 through 23, from within or out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So that's, that's a clear picture. It's flowing from who you are to flowing out to what you do. So I think it's important just to see that. So you, you kind of are left with, oh, no, we're in bad shape. We are in really, really bad shape. Now, this is a beautiful thing, too, though. So he says to them, remember where you once were? Like, if, if, you, if you think um, somebody's coming to you and saying, like, you need to do this, and you need to do that, you need to do this physical activity, and you need to do this spiritual practice, and you need to, and they're walking through all these things that you need to do, stop and ask yourself, what took you from where you were to where you are now? Was it those things? Or was it, was it the powerful preaching of the gospel? Was it the transforming power of the grace of the gospel of a Christ who came, lived, died, buried, rose again, sent it into heaven, and sent his spirit to transform you? That's what you need. That's what you need. You, you don't need more than that. He's saying that over and over and over. And sometimes you might say, man, I've heard that. Well, you need to repeat it to yourself. Go back to that confessional statement of who Jesus is. He is both Lord and Savior. And drip your life in that. A living Savior. One who has truly defeated all of our enemies. And He is with us and for us. Go back. Go back. Take your, like a camera, and just span back in the history of your life and look and say, these people were dead in their sins, rebellious, hostile towards God. What changed? What changed? A new exercise regiment? Really? More spiritual practices? Really? Where you now stand. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death these people in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
that is the message you need to go back to. That is what you stand up on. You do not bring your dirty, filthy, spiritual practices to the Lord and say, does this reconcile me? Will this rescue me? Will this save me? Will this transform me? Will this make us right now? Have I made up for it? He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He's reconciled these people. I told you I was going to go back to that Titus passage and that Ephesians passage. You want to hear that? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, listen to this. What changed? The people were just a mess in Crete. This book of Titus speaks of them. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, i.e. whatever religious practices you think will somehow gain you favor with God. But according to His own, what? Mercy. By the washing of regeneration, He caused us to be born again. And we were capable of that because He is the firstborn from the dead. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Listen to Ephesians 2.4. But God, Ephesians 2.1-3, they're a total wreck and a mess. They're dead in their sins. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. What do they need to be fully mature Christian disciples? What do they need to be full of, 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 the, of all that God has for us? What they need is to return to the gospel that saved them and the gospel that is sanctifying them and the gospel that will transform them into glory so that they are right. That's what they need. they got to keep going back. So they look back at their past, they look at their present state, and He has reconciled us to Himself. Before you had been at enmity with Him, now you are brought near to Him. Before you had no peace with Him, now you are in a state of peace with God. Before your relationship was broken, now it has been restored. Sin separated you, but Jesus Christ has reconciled you. He has brought you back into relationship. Now, let me ask you this. If you were to look at your marriage today and you say, what would cause us to be in the place that we ought to be? Well, you could read a bunch of books about how to make everybody happy in their marriage. What really would change that? If the Creator and the Redeemer would somehow work in us in such a way where we would, in light of His mercy shown to us, show mercy to one another, you'll come back. Like the marriage needs the gospel. The child rearing needs the gospel. The attitude transformation needs the gospel. Everything needs the gospel. Go back. To that and keep running back to those truths. Reconciled to God 
draws us back to one another. Basking in the reconciliation that was accomplished for us causes us to want to reconcile to one another. Laying down this deal of like, you will be justified in my sight based upon what you do before me is not gospel thinking, but returning to the gospel allows me to move back. By Jesus' death, through his physical life coming here, his human flesh, taking on human flesh, he was capable of being a substitute for us and enduring the wrath of God that we deserve so that God could be satisfied with his sacrifice and welcome us back. For what purpose? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now listen to me. We looked at what we once were, and now we say we na- this is where we now stand. Now, just think about that with me just for a moment. This is a little bit difficult for some because you're saying, like, I don't always act in a holy way. I don't always act blamelessly. I'm not always acting above reproach. I think at the heart of this text, he is speaking of your position. Oops, sorry. He's speaking of your position. Where you now stand. It's, it really is. You're, it's just like the way we say you're living the Christian life. You're fighting from victory to victory. In the same way here, you are, in light of where you stand, you ought to live in this way. That's kind of the picture. You are... Jesus came and reconciled you so that you would be presented holy and blameless and above reproach. And that's where you are positionally now. And, And so I think that's important just to say you are positionally there. In practice, you're not there. But, but positionally, you are there. And you will see that as you move forward in Colossians, where he will say he'll move from position to practice. He does the same thing in Ephesians. And I think it's important just to note that. So we can understand that we are legally in good standing with God, legally blameless, legally holy, legally above reproach before him, Because we are now in Christ and our union with Christ allows us to walk into the courtroom before a holy God and Jesus to say, I was their substitute. I lived the life that they could never live and I died where they should have died. And so I incurred your wrath against them and now I have given them my righteousness so that when they stand before you, they stand before you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Are they there yet? in practice, on earth. No, but they are there in heaven. That's what he says in Ephesians. In the heavenly places, they are positionally standing in the courtroom before God. You hear, not guilty, but not just not guilty, but in good standing. But while we wait, we're in process. But I think here, he is speaking about where you are standing now. And you will see that if you follow the flow of thought. So, we say, what you once were, where you now stand. And so then the the issue is, how do you go on? Look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What's the condition? 
continuing in the faith. Um, it, it, that, that's the condition. If you, he's saying to them, if you leave the gospel that you claimed, if you leave that, there's no hope for you. There is no hope for you. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. What's he saying? Believer, you need the gospel as much today as you needed it the first time you heard it. You need the gospel. It needs to come back to you. It needs to be something ringing in your ears. It needs to be the thing where you keep going back and say, the Lord and Savior of the universe, I believe in Him. And maybe you do pray sometimes, help my unbelief. Help the areas where I struggle with that, but I want to hold fast to the gospel. That is my only hope. I will trust in no other thing. I am not going to turn away from the gospel. It's a gospel they've already heard. It's a gospel ringing out throughout the world. It's the gospel that the, the Apostle Paul preached. It's the gospel that they heard from Epaphras. The idea of them being stable is that they're established and well-founded. They're grounded in the gospel. It almost has like temple imagery where you're saying like, uh, Jesus, of course, is presented in Ephesians as the cornerstone. The apostles, um, you see these foundational stones, and we are living stones. We are built. God is building a house. You're in that house. That's the foundation. That's what we live upon. That's where the presence of God is. That's where the hope is. That's where the fullness is. That's where the maturity is. Stand in that message. That's where it comes. That's what you can hope in. And steadfast, there's a loyalty there. I will not turn away. I will stay the course. I will press on towards the mark, as Philippians 3 says, to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I will run the race, finish the race. I will finish it. I will keep the faith. All those things that Paul said, I will keep moving forward. I'm not going to shift by God's grace and for His glory, I will not shift away from that. I will not let the winds and waves of false teaching and false thinking and all that kind of junk, I will not turn away. I will hold fast to the gospel that I was grounded in uh, from the beginning. To continue in the faith is the picture here. So that's what we do. We say, hey, look back. Remember where you were. Remember where you now stand. And then move on in that. You never leave it. You never leave it. You keep following the one who blazed the trail for you. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. As Robert Murray McShane said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your grace and mercy to show up in our lives in powerful ways as we run to the cross, the resurrection, to the ascension, to the spirits coming down, as we rehearse to ourselves 
even returning back to the very beginning where you built this world. The Son spoke. The Son, the Word, who created and redeemed. If we go back, we pray we would. I pray, Lord, that this church would be continue to just rejoice in the wonder of all that we have been given in Christ. We would never move away. No matter what comes at us, we would stay the course, keep the faith, and look forward to the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to us on that day and to all who loved His appearing. 